I want you to open your Bibles this, with me this morning, Mark chapter 10. In the first service, Dave, uh, during the, I think, the offering, prayed, thank the Lord for rain. Uh, if, if you're praying for rain, would you do two things? Do me two favors. Would you stop praying for rain and pray for me? Because <laughs> I know God answers your prayers. <laughs> Brother Quentin, good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. All of you, God bless you for being here. Amen. We had a meeting yesterday and uh, of our leadership here in Christ's Legacy, and I want to thank Pastor John and Dave and Henry and all of you that came, some 50 people, and to align ourselves in greater organization and leadership and getting ready for the Lord to do a greater work among us. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in the best quote-unquote business there is on this side of earth. <laughs> And I want to uh, thank my leaders and thank you for being faithful. Next Sunday, a friend of mine will be here. He is an ordained Southern Baptist minister. His name's Dan Fisher. If you don't know Dan Fisher, he's a God lover and he is, has been a pastor. He built a large church in a near city here and um, he is and was a state representative for the state of Oklahoma, I think, for 12 years. And quite a guy. He ran for governor here last year. And uh, I just want to tell you he's going to be our guest this coming week. It's, he's going to do a presentation called the Black Robe Regiment. I want all young people, I want you to invite your, your friends at school to come next Sunday. Next Sunday is the Sunday before we celebrate the 4th of July here, our freedom and our nation. And there'll be a set here for Brother Dan, and he's going to be giving recitals, and he's, he's going to be telling us about history. The Black Robe Regiment was in the old war when ministers actually to set some people free and fight for what is right took their black robes of the pulpit off and laid aside their robe to preach and went and fought for freedom for men and women who needed to be set free. Dan will come and, and he'll tell you some of that history. He's actually going to be in, in a costume and he will have some actual weapons from that particular period of time that have been loaned to him from individuals and families for dozens and dozens of years and some from museums. You're just going to be blessed by hearing this. I think every young person should hear what's going to come from this platform tomorrow because, ladies and gentlemen, freedom is a commodity which price is never paid in full. Except for the freedom of our Christ, we'll never know it in this world, but aren't you glad that God has some people who will stand for what's right? I want you to invite folks. Let's pack this house 10 o'clock. It'll be a, a sort of a more brief service for our worship, but... We're going to give Brother Dan time, and I, I wanted you to know kind of what that was, and I uh, want you to invite some folk. If I've ever been pastoral, I'll probably be pastoral today. I, I, want, to, I want to speak to everybody, but young people under the age of 99, I want you to li listen especially, okay? How many of you are under 99? Good. Um, before I open the scripture and open the word today, I want to just—I want—I want you to listen on purpose. I'd rather you didn't get up and go in and out and disturb anyone. I want you to see this message. I probably won't get a lot of amens, and I'm sure I won't get a lot of enthusiasm from it. But it is imperative. I feel God laid on my heart to show us something. What I want to show us today is our society. I want you to look at it in the in the Hollywood world. I want you to look at it in the 
politic world. I want you to look at it at your job. I trust we won't look at it in our homes, but I want to see it in ourselves, and I want us to see all this in one picture about how Satan has so blinded the eyes of humanity and how we miss so much the true quality of what God wants to teach us. So I pray this morning that you will listen and that the Lord will put by His Spirit the right picture in our minds. And so I want to touch our hearts today with the Word of God. Look with me at Mark, Mark excuse me, chapter 10. I'm going to read some verses beginning at verse 35. James and John, then the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us what we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and with the baptism I am baptized with you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those who, for whom it is prepared. And when the ten, the other ten disciples, heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave to all. And listen how he ended this discourse. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I adore, I adjure you to listen today to something that needs to be known and can I say practiced and even changed in most of Christendom. I declare to you that genuinely following Christ today will involve learning an entirely different set of attitudes, an entirely different perspective, and even learning an entire new set of ambitions. When we are truly born a second time and come into God's kingdom, God helps us by placing in us a new set of ambitions that Desire to please Christ. New ambitions to become more like Christ. There's that urgency in us. If we don't have it, we need to go back, Laodicea, Revelation, do our first works again. We have not learned to love. So the results of the new birth and a new nature is called a powerful word in the Old Testament, New Testament. It's called the word sanctification. And that word means that now you are set aside, set apart for the glory and the service of God Himself. There were vessels. There were many things in the Old Testament and in the New set aside just for the glory of God. 
It is for us, you and I in this new covenant, taking this new nature that God puts in us, the new spirit of God that comes to indwell in us, and we learn, ladies and gentlemen, in an ongoing way what it is to be more like Jesus. Not in theory, not just in words, but in an absolute change of nature and in practice as we live out in in life what we actually believe in our heart. We learn from His Word and we submit our hearts to new desires and new ambitions. And if we don't desire to die to ourselves and glorify our Christ, we have not experienced genuine, life-changing salvation. Say amen. So, the disciples had watched and they listened for three and a half years. I want us to see us, and I want us to see our world. I'm going to remind us. Here they are, pictures for us. They listened, they watched, they heard, but they did not comprehend. And I want to say I think the greatest sin in, in, in the church today in America, maybe the world, the greatest sin or the greatest fault we have is what I call partial obedience. We practice some obedience and eliminate others because we don't like it. Everybody say, oh, me or ouch or something. They watched, they didn't comprehend. But watch this. Still confused, yet believing, and believing with conviction that his kingdom would come. They knew it. They left all that they had followed him at great cost to themselves. At the same time, they still wrestle with human reasoning. And watch it. You can see it. Here they are following Christ. They love him, etc. We'll get into it in a minute. And yet, you know what they really wanted? They all wanted to be Jesus' favorite. I want to be the special one. (laughs) So, when one and more want to be special, suddenly there's competition. And it happened because of what they perceive to be greatness in the eyes of Jesus. In chapter 9, we didn't read it, but verse 34 says, they disputed among themselves who would be the greatest with Christ. So we arrive a chapter later in Mark 10. Jesus gave a proper view of greatness. And I want to tell you, it is sorely needed in this society. For we humans, I want you to hear, it is not really the desire for greatness that is the problem. For I think to desire greatness as God views greatness is appropriate and it's God-given and we should pursue it. But our problem is, it is the understanding, or more succinctly, our misunderstanding of greatness that becomes the problem. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, to embrace greatness exemplified and embodied in Christ I will tell us plainly, if we're truly going to be followers of Christ and be great in His kingdom, it will require different attitudes and an entirely different set of ambitions for our lives. So I'm going to make us all real uncomfortable, okay? I'm just going to start meddling. 
Well, I knew you'd shout me down. Mark 10, there are four desires that we're going to see about this greatness. Three were inappropriate, and you see them every day in our world and in ourselves, in our politics, in everything about us. The last one is correct, and we see it in Christ. So I want us to look and see if we're on the right path. Don't forget to look at our world and how I cover this today. Number one, four desires. Three are inappropriate. The last one's appropriate. The first one is this, a desire that comes out of selfishness. Verse 35 and 37, again. James and John came to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I want you to look at the childishness in that question. Can I ask you to look at the immaturity in that question? Look at the selfishness of that question. It goes on to say, we want to ask you, what do you want me to ask? Or what do you want me to do? Here's what they're saying. Lord, we want you to answer something, but we want you to answer it the way we want it answered. Parents, have you ever had your children ask you that question? Say yes, Daddy, say yes. Say yes, Mommy, please say yes. And when they say that, there's automatically, intrinsically inside of it, something that says they have their doubts and it's probably not something you're going to want to do. It's so, so human. But I want you to see it. Children come to mom and dad and say, yes, mommy. Say yes, daddy. Say that. Here's the disciples coming and say it. Say yes, Lord. Answer this the way we want it. Because they were in relationship with him. They were friends. And it's that kind of a question that they pose. And Jesus answers in verse 36. So what is it you want me to do? We want the right hand and the left hand in your glory. Do you not see selfishness in the concept of the fact that we may not can get there, but when you do, we want to ride your coattail and we want the highest positions? You've got to laugh at the human nature and be sad at the same time. These people knew him. They honored him. They followed him. They believed and knew his kingdom was coming. They left the fishing. They left the tax collecting. They left the attorney. They left being a doctor, Luke. They all that. They believed that it was coming. He is Messiah and they know it. He is the Son of God and they know it. That's Orthodox Christianity, sir. That's good. However, when Jesus will be seated in his glory, they wanted the two highest positions. And that was their concept Of greatness. Do you see yourself? Do you see our world? Do you see the selfishness? If you go over to the first gospel, Matthew 20, we know that these two boys didn't come alone. When you read the synoptics, you'll find that, look at the whole picture, their mother, Salome, came with them, and she asked Christ the same question. I want you to answer this the way I want you to answer it. When you come into your kingdom, I want you to put James and John on the left and right. Isn't looking at human nature fun? 
Oh, say, so they asked this question. Why did they ask these questions? I want to I give us four answers right quickly of why they asked that question. First of all, they asked it because they were ambitious. James and John were ambitious disciples. As a matter of fact, Jesus had even given them a nickname. How many of you remember their nickname? They were called Sons of Thunder. These were the racehorses. These were the guys that were smart and first in the class. These are the guys who were always there, the go-to guys. They ran out in front of everybody else. And Jesus called them Sons of Thunder. They would attack hell with a squirt gun. You just have to know the Greek like I do to know that. <laughs> Call them sons of thunder. <laughs> but I want you to look at their personalities. In Luke 9, Jesus had come to a place where he set his face in his mind, the scripture says. He is going to Jerusalem and he knows when he gets there that eventually he's going to be crucified and pay the price through a bludgeon beaten body and he's going to sacrifice as the ransom of many. And so these went ahead of him, his disciples, to announce that he was coming. They ran into Samaritans and the Samaritans did not respect Christ. They did not receive him and listen to James and John. You know what they did? They went to Christ and said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down out of heaven and destroy them like Elijah did in the Old Testament? I mean, these guys were ambitious. If you want somebody to fight for you, call the sons of thunder. You know, it's good to have a few of them in your pocket. Zealous for Christ, here they were. Later on, I'll show you they're in the in crowd. These are chosen ones. These were selected ones. Follow me. They knew the kingdom was coming. They knew this was the Son of God. All that. And now, in their mind, look at the selfishness, but look at how the human mind, even though they love God, look at how it can get in the way of gospel. I hear them saying it in the scripture. Now's the time. Two sons and mom. We better strike the iron while it's hot. We better get this done now. Selfish ambitions. That's the reason they ask it. The second reason they ask it is this. They ask it because they genuinely had love for him. Pastor, what do you mean? This is how, this is how blind we can be, ladies and gentlemen. This is how foolish and sounding reasonable, but we can miss it by so great a measure. Their concept was, which among us are the most devoted to Jesus? Which among us love him the most? Which one of us would die for him first? Which one of us does he trust the most? Which of us have been nearest to him? And in Mark 14, four chapters later, Jesus sits down with these same guys and he actually comes to a conclusion and he says these words. Every one of you, all of you are going to stumble and fall and fail. Every one of you. And I'll talk about that again in a minute. But Peter says, not me. Not me, Lord. He told him, I'm going to be crucified. He said, he said, 
You'll deny me, not me, Lord. I will die for you. And suddenly, right here, even out of affection, is competition. Selfish. Young people, mom and dad, let us not miss what our Christ is teaching us here. While he's teaching about genuine greatness, he also teaches how a disciple, let me say a true, obedient disciple, really loves God. And he says, you say you love me, and you say you would die for me, but you won't be at church on time. Whoops, I put that in there. I just want to say something that I think is important. We have people that come up here, our worship singers and musicians, and they work for two hours on Wednesday night, and some other nights of the week they come, and they pay prices and pay prices to have good music and to be anointed and pray and do all that. And we don't even have, we hadn't come, we hadn't paid those prices, and we won't get here at 10 o'clock. 30 in the morning, I think it's shame on us. We need to get our values reestablished. And I know that'll shout you down, but I think it's a disgrace not to honor people. I think it's wrong to be 10 minutes late to church. <laughs> I know I made friends right there, but I'm going to say it anyway. We, it's easy to miss what's good. But watch him. He's teaching what it really means. Greatness is this. He said, if you really love me, what you'll do is you'll love the brethren. If you really love me, you will love each other. If you really love me, you will serve each other. Prove that you love me by serving everyone else. How many of you know that's diabolical to every message? that runs through the fabric of society today. Wow. Watch this. After Calvary, after the sacrifice and the beating and the whip and the crown and the plucking of the blood and, and the, all that he went through, 700 plus years before it, Isaiah the prophet said that when they finally finished with him, we couldn't even note that he was physical. A human being, he was beaten so bad. After that, Calvary, and after the resurrection, he has this conversation again. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know I do. Remember, he had failed him. Remember, he had denied him three times and the rooster crowed that morning. Remember, and he asked a second time. He asked a third time, Peter, do you really love me? And finally, Peter shook his head. And you said, Lord, you know I do. And he said three times, Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. You know what he's saying? He's saying, serve the church and my people. And let me put some more in it for you. Let me, let me put in it what his future will be. Watch this. It's if Christ is saying, Peter, I want you to take care of my people. I'm calling you to teach them. I'm calling you to the church. And I want you to do that until the day you die. And by the way, you will die a death you wouldn't choose at all. But Peter, that is true greatness. Let 
I know that comes with a hard thud, but can I remind you this morning that that same Christ who took up a cross said to you and me every day, you need to die to you because the flesh resurrects itself every day. You need to take up that cross. And if you really love me, you won't be arrogant. You won't be argumentative. You won't win every argument. You won't fuss and fight. You're going to get in charge of yourself, put your spirit in me, and you're going to minister to everybody else. goes over like a pork chop in the synagogue. The reason they ask was, first of all, boy, just, just because they were ambitious. Secondly, because they really loved him. Thirdly, this. It's because they had natural ties. Don't miss the human connection. Don't miss ourselves. Salome, James and John's mother, was a sister to the mother of Jesus, Mary. You know what that means? James and John were cousins to Jesus. They're blood related. And they thought because they were in the family, they deserved special treatment. Let me meddle here just a moment. I've been in the ministry over 40 years and I've noticed something. Some families never see each other. They never know each other hardly. They just go about their life, but suddenly when grandpa and grandma or mom and dad come and the heritage is gonna, inheritance is going to be split, they all show up. And let me tell you, most of the time it's not a good family reunion. <laughs> Have you ever noticed... They, here, here's the thing. They thought they deserved these positions because they were relatives. We are family. We deserve this. Look at the selfishness. But I want to pick another sore. Have you ever noticed today on television, and, and most of you know I had surgery a few weeks ago, I, I didn't feel well. I watched television. I, I'd read and I'd study, but I'd watch TV. I watched these old 50s and 60s cowboy films till I'm just cowboyed out. Now, I like guns and I like to shoot them and all that. But it, it's, uh, the, you know, I noticed among, no matter how they are, there's always a hero that can outdraw anybody and he has a girlfriend and they're going to fall in love and all that. And then there's always the problem with the Indians and the, 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 the cowboys circle the wagons. The Indians ride head on into rifles. Do you not have any humor at all in you? I just thought it. But, but here's what I wanted to get at. Advertisers target age groups, and because you're watching 50s and 60s cowboys, pastor, they get on there about Medicare and every kind of medicine and overgrown indoor swinging door bathtubs and showers and everything you need from salopatica to things I don't even want to know about. And they try to sell you. But watch this. Here's what they do. They have this word that's so unique. They say, even, even Joe Namath and, and some of these people, you need to be sure you get what you deserve. 
What you deserve, what you deserve, it's me, myself, and I, the Holy Trinity of selfishness. Be sure you get what you deserve. Let me just hit us really hard. Everyone in this room, if we got what we really deserved eternally, we'd be cast into outer darkness. Thank God for the blood of Christ. Amen. Thank the Lord. What you deserve. We're family. Got to be special now. And hey, I'm not against family, but it still has to be right. Here's another reason, the fourth reason they ask to be at right and left. Because of previous privileges. Watch this. This happens in school from the time you're in the first grade, usually the rest of your life, but I want you to see the picture, young people. It's called... The inner circle. The in crowd. It's called peer pressure. And you are either in it and cool. Or you're not. And there's not a soul in this room that hadn't had those kind of pressures somewhere in life. And sometimes you feel really good because you're chosen first. And when you get chosen last, you feel really bad. Look at our world. Look at our values. Look at the heart. No wonder, no wonder the psalmist, guard your heart above all things. No wonder Jeremiah said, guard, watch your heart. It's, it's desperately wicked. That's why Hollywood's message is follow your heart, follow your heart. Don't you dare follow your heart if it hadn't been born again. All this ooey-gooey, syrupy stuff. Well, you just do what you think's best. Let me tell you what you do. You do what this book says do. You don't get to follow yourself. You don't get to do what you want to do. Because you are bought with a price. You are not your own. You have the privilege of serving God in a kingdom. But watch this. This desire. Because of privileges. Listen. When you hear the disciples named all through the Gospels, they are triplets. There were a triplet named up front of everybody. And it was Peter, James, and John. They were the cool dudes. They were the in crowd. They were the upfront guys. They were already privileged. And watch this. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ when they saw Moses and Elijah. They were in the in crowd. They, they were there when Jesus raised some from the dead. So watch our human reasoning here. It's about time, and his kingdom's coming. We know it. Here's what they're thinking. This man, we've watched him raise people from the dead. We've seen him do miracles. We have watched him absolutely bring sight to blinded eyes. We've saw him straighten a withered hand. We've seen him empty graves. We've seen that, and now his kingdom's coming. We know he's going to take us out now under the iron heel of the Roman Empire, and we want to be there with him because especially we're in this in crowd. Watch the human reasoning. Here's all we got to do right now. James and John, all we got to do is get rid of Peter. Get rid of Simon Peter. You don't think that's not what they're thinking? First of all, they, they asked because they had ambitious personalities, their leaders. They loved him. They were family. 
They're already in the top echelon. Those all seemed like real valid reasons, but they were all selfish motives misguided concepts of greatness. And that plagues our sinful world today. So, first desire was selfishness. Here's the second desire that was wrong. It was an overconfident desire. In verse 38, we read it. Jesus said, you do not know what you ask. I want to tell you something. When Jesus says that, you better listen. But watch this. Young people, learn this truth. Young parents, whatever your age, whatever your lot in life, learn this. There is a blindness produced by pride that can dominate you if you don't deal with it. Prideful people become overconfident sometimes. They get to where they think they are ready for things they are not ready for. I point you to the political realm. There are people who have prominence and names and education and position and finance and they think they can get in a place and we see them for a while and it falls into shambles and we see it in failure everywhere. They think they can do something they're not qualified to do. When Jesus said, you do not know, I think it should stop, make us cautious. I think we ought to pause and I think we ought to think. Lord, what do you know that I don't know? Lord, your word, let me be still and know that you're God. Direct my steps. But here's the Messiah, the Son of God, the Spirit of God. He speaks, you do not know. So I want to ask you, what is our response to that? But Jesus explains And watch it. He says, I'm about to drink a cup. I am about to be baptized. And both that cup and that baptism will be in blood. And here they are looking for a kingdom to be established. And they're wanting the left and right seat. These were analogies. And Jesus was saying, I am headed for suffering I am about to pay prices, gentlemen, that you have not even fathomed so that I can be the ransom for millions. When you are short-sighted, pride can make you overconfident. James and John, he asked them, are you ready to do that? Are you equipped to do that? We know what he's talking about. They were limited in that scope. But I want you to watch their response. It is so important. Because pride and overconfidence. Listen, they didn't even wince. They said, we are ready for it. Wow. Can I say in truth, they had no concept of suffering and greatness. 
They were blinded by their pride of what they could do within their own power. These sons of thunder were ready to fight. You tell us, Lord, this kingdom is coming. We know you're going to win it. We'll fight it. Here's what they thought. The war of flesh and blood, we've seen you win it. We'll win it with you. That's what they expected. But I want to tell you something. Sometime in your marriage and your children and your family and your work and your job and your world has far more to it than that. Waging war against principalities and powers, age rulers of darkness, wickedness in high places, hordes of hell and demons by the thousands, paying the price for sin. What blindness even from the disciples. Verse 39b, he said this. Listen to what Christ said. Indeed, you will share in my suffering in the natural world. You are going to know something about fighting a battle in the spiritual world. And do you know that James became the first Christian martyr? And do you know that John went ahead and wrote the book of John? Went ahead and wrote John 1, 2, 3, and then Revelation. But he was eventually exiled on Patmos by himself. They did drink, and they did know the baptism. Just like he said, verse 40, Jesus begins to show them this, submission to the Father. He said, guys, the right hand and the left hand is not mine to grant. That is under sovereign assignment. Because it's going to require true greatness. Wow. That was the second. That was, that was the second Desire. Thirdly, the last and the inappropriate desire is this. I could read it, verse 41 through 42. The ten, when they heard it, they were greatly displeased. I'll go on down. Jesus said, you know that the Gentiles lord it over them and they assume authority for themselves. Here's the third one. They made this desire out, out of competitiveness. I want you to watch this, young people. Church, look. Look at us individually and look at our world, competitiveness. Young people, mom and dad, a wrong, out of balance, misunderstanding desire for greatness always leads to division. I'm going to hit us where we live. Mom and dad, If you fuss and you fight, you are destroying your children. You say you love them. You say. A wrong desire to be the leader and right all the time will destroy you. And maybe know it's quiet in here. If you have to have your way all the time, you're headed for a wreck down the road. And I'm going to be bold enough to tell you. Because Satan works that out of competitiveness. And watch this. The other ten of the disciples, the chosen ones, became indignant To these and millions today, greatness means running past you. I have to get out in front of you. 
I have to dominate. It's going to be my way because I'm going to win at any costs. Do you see that in this political world? Do you see division in the United States of America because we are literally in evil with a wrong concept of who's going to be at the right hand and the left hand? Who's going to be in the high positions, in the high office, and we are literally in a quagmire of absolute evil trying to access greatness? Have I added to the word of the Lord? Have I... Taken from it, ladies and gentlemen, Satan has us everywhere. It's competitive. But watch this. It's not just those who are out front with the wrong attitude and the wrong heart and the wrong ambition. These ten behind ones were filled with resentment. And now there's a battle of twelve for greatness. But in the kingdom of Christ, Jesus went on to say, if you're going to find true greatness, you are going to be a slave to everybody else. A slave to everybody else. Not because somebody makes you, but because you die daily on that cross and you serve the ones you love. So the fourth desire is in the the one that's appropriate is this, a desire for genuine greatness. That is to become like Christ. Hear me and I'll be through. Sacrifice self to others is what Christ called greatness. But I want you to watch the contrast in our world and in our lives. Here's the contrast in what true greatness is. There is a greatness that requires an exalted position Versus a greatness that anyone can assume by taking on the role of a servant. So for us in 2019, God's word says, hear this, don't miss it. It's the crux of the whole message. If you're in a position of responsibility, lead with a heart to serve. Most of us are like the guy that went to interview on a job. And the interviewer said, what do you do best? And the guy said, boss. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to hit his heart. Do you, have you noticed how bossy we've become? Our nature's Somebody strike at us, we just strike back. We all need to be on our knees. If you're in a position and there's responsibility to be truly great, it means to lead with a heart to serve. Think of your position not as an authority that is taken and given to you, but take that position as a privilege to serve others. That would totally change the hearts of America. I don't even know that'd be revival among Christianity. Let me say it like this. Most of us lead 
a lot better than we drive. Mr. Smith, if I come to you and say, let me tell you something, Mr. Smith, I've had this happen and this happen, and you're going to do this and do this and do this and do this to help me. He's going to go, really? But if I say, Mr. Smith, I've had this happen and this happen. I need some help. Man, can you find some time to help me? And he'll say, get out of the way, I'll do this. Sir, you cannot drive your wife in a marriage. Ma'am, you cannot drive your husband in a marriage. You cannot drive your children in a family. And you cannot manipulate your parents in a family. It will all bring division. may go on a long time, but that vibration in a car eventually will make the wheel fall off. Let me know I'm telling you the truth. Genuine greatness is simply this. It is sacrificial love. And most people walk to an altar today and say, I do and I do and I do and I do and make God eternal vows that you don't more intend to keep at all because you're thinking about you. And sir, listen to me. Every guy look at me. I don't care if you're married or unmarried. When you get married, that woman is not your possession. She is God's daughter. And you're going to stand and give an account to Almighty God of how you treat her. And you're not to boss her and slam her around like she's something else to throw around in a house. Every woman ought to say amen. But lady, let me tell you something else too. You're not his boss and he's not supposed to bow at the end of the whip of your tongue every day. How many of you know there's no sugar on those pills? But yet we're in our households living like that. And our children, moms and dads divorce and spread out and, and, and they go right in from the frying pan to the fire. You know why? Because it's about us. And God says, if you want peace and you don't want division, you serve that other person like you would a slave. Can I tell you something about marriage? I don't know what time it is. I've I've seen very few women, good, godly, Christ-following, desiring women, I've seen very few of them that want to grab the steering wheel and take it away from a man that they know that will love them and follow God and be a man sometime and say, honey, I understand, but I feel like God wants us to go this way. You give her a sense of security in that and let her know she's number one and you make those decisions. I've seen very few women who want to grab on the steering wheel. But you show me a guy who's wishy-washy. Show me a guy who won't discipline his children. Show me a guy who won't stay faithful to the house of God and live in the book and do right. And I'll show you a lady who has no trust in him and she'll try to dominate it. Because somebody got to be in charge. How many of you know I'm walking on pretty thin ice this morning? Genuine greatness is sacrificial love. I want to tell you sometimes, I say this in jest. You got small children, you got children sometime, mom and dad, and Satan comes in like a flood. Give them Benadryl, knock them out. That's what God made it for. 
But you two get in there and you sit down and you communicate. You don't fuss. You don't fight. Here's what I tell couples. Guy, call time out, honey. Here you are. You tell me. You tell me what you want. You tell me what you feel. You tell me why. You tell me. You tell me. And here's the thing, though, lady. You can't call him bad names. And you can't say bad words. But tell him what you feel. Tell him what you think. And guy, listen. And you don't say a word till she gets through. But then the microphone changes. Sir, you get to say what you want. You get to say how you want and how you feel, where you are from that lady. You don't get to say a word. Let me tell you something. Unless you do that, there's very little communication in our families. Instead, we just keep going on with a wheel out of balance. And marriages, there are many marriages, if not more, in Christendom falling apart in divorce than there is in the world. You know why? Because Satan's trying to tear it apart. The sanctity of marriage is on the rocks today. You'd be surprised, gentlemen, what you'd learn if you just listen long enough to find out what her heart's saying and what she feels and what she thinks and vice versa. You can't imagine, ma'am, sometimes what's going through his mind and how he's struggling. And the world beats him up and rejects him and you come home and he feels like you do the same thing. And maybe you still love me. It's still the Word of God. Genuine greatness is sacrificial love. Husband and wife, sacrifice. Serve your mate. Treat them as if they're valuable because they are. You know what's amazing today? Would you say, well, we're not in love anymore? <laughs> Hogwash. Get before God, get in the living room, put your arms around each other and ask God to get in that place and heal your heart. You were there one time, you can be there again. And God didn't say till death do us part or incompatibility do us part. He said till death do us part. God can heal any marriage if you're willing to die. Come on, church, say amen. And by the way, I, I'm just meddling like a pastor. Let me tell you, you can come in and say, Pastor, he was the sickest, saddest, sorry, he did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. And that may all be true, darling, but I'm going to tell you something, it's not all on one side. Every man wanted to jump up and down right there. Not all on one side. Let me just be real plain today. Since I'm in trouble already, I deal with this all the time. Adulterous affairs. For one thing, society's got us all torn apart and everybody's doing it. I want to tell you, God hasn't changed his mind about it. Hasn't changed his mind. But sometimes, I'm going to hit us. Hang on. I've dealt with it for so long. Pastor, he's in an adulterous affair. And that's wrong. And that's guilt and he needs to deal with it. But can I tell you sometime a man is driven by his wife to an affair? By his wife? Pastor, what do you mean? Not an excuse. But listen, when you quit painting and powdering, <laughs> when you quit dressing up and when you stop giving him something to look at, when you stop romancing him, when you stop Admiring him.
And that goes on weeks and months, and he goes to somebody that isn't a tenth as good looking as you are, but they got on perfume you can smell 40 feet away, and there's a problem. I just can't believe that your wife would do you that way. You're literally, he had become so vulnerable to an affair. Come on, smile at me. So come tell pastor he's the sickest, saddest source. You're going to play your part too. All this sitting on my notes, but it's sacrificial love is loving and serving. Parent, serve your children. Teach them. It's not the churches and the schools place to teach your children. It's your responsibility. Employee, serve. You to, the Christian employee ought to be the best employee on the place. And let me say, this is where I got in trouble first service and I got in trouble a while ago. Be on time to work. Five minutes early. Shout me down. Say praise the Lord. I know you love it. I think you ought to be at work on time. I know today we just kind of It's an injustice to take a paycheck and not get a full day's wage. I sound like I'm 135 years old. The principles hadn't changed. If that man or woman pays you a full day's wage, give them a full day's work. And be a servant to your employer. You watch God. Watch God. This book says promotion doesn't come from your employer. Promotion comes from God. Because he will honor those principles no matter where you are. Say amen. It's true. So believer, Jesus said, you serve everybody. You literally by choice out of love for me decide you're going to be a slave to everybody else. Stop your fussing and fighting and stop your complaining. Stop looking at them. Well, they did this and they did that. Jesus said, don't you compare yourselves one to the other. You decide the true greatness is I'm going to serve you. I'm going to prefer you. When I hear something bad about you, I'm not going to spread that. I'm going to take it to the Lord and I'm going to practice genuine Christianity. Genuine Christianity. Do you know how many churches Satan has split? Because they don't know anything about true greatness. They're not serving God. They're serving self in positions and attitudes and concepts and opinions and all that. A new set of ambitions. Here it is. The scripture, or the spirit said it. Paul wrote the scripture. Listen to the message and I'm through. Let nothing, Christian... Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Philippians 2. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind, listen to this mind. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus also, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. 
He didn't promote himself. He didn't try to be something he wasn't, although he was. Made of himself no reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant and coming into the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of men. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, you want to see greatness? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. That at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee of the devil and the demons and the angels and people will bow. Here it says in heaven, those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to adjure you this morning as a pastor to genuine greatness. Genuine greatness. Genuine greatness. Pastor, have you made mistakes? I can't number them. Do you know how many times I've had to go to my bride and say, I'm sorry, forgive me? Do you know how many times I've been short-fused and bossed? Do you know how many times I've been blasted out at my two children because I was so pressed in this world? It's not fun to die, but it's required. <laughs>